1: Hey everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, April 22nd, the eve of the first ever virtual NFL Draft. Time for episode 347 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us as always on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS. No one... I'd rather do a deep dive in on all things NFL draft than our own Evan Lazar. Follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. He has had fabulous coverage wall-to-wall since essentially uh, the end of the Patriots season, that uh, loss to the Titans in the playoffs on the first weekend in January. Uh, he's really been gearing up for what should be an interesting uh, three days um, over a virtual reality for the New England Patriots to build their roster Uh, Are you going to be able to take a quick, deep breath uh, before Thursday night gets underway?
0: I hope so. Probably, you know, the quiet before the storm on Thursday afternoon, I would say. But right now, you know, at this point in time, all I'm paranoid about is that Bill Belichick is going to draft a guy that I haven't studied on tape. That's all I care about. And I realize that he's going to do it on day three at some point, but I'm just talking about, you know, what their four or five picks, whatever it ends up being in the first two days. That's always my goal is to know every single player that they draft until day three.
1: Yeah, you said that to me last year. I do remember that. Something we're going to do today, Evan, to bring some structure and purpose to our NFL show, we're going to go position group by position group for the Patriots, two to three players at each spot that could impact the Patriots and why. And if there isn't anyone Evan sees there, then he'll say so. We're going to start with quarterback. It's obviously been the story of the offseason. Tom Brady leaving for Tampa Bay. And that means, uh, we have, uh, two guys in there right now. Obviously Brian Hoyer and uh, many who consider to be the front runner to take over Brady's uh, responsibilities. Jarrett Stidham, the second year QB out of Auburn. We know, I think, Joe Burrow's going to the Cincinnati Bengals, number one overall. I think Tua uh, is going to the Dolphins uh, somewhere in the top five if the Dolphins don't move up uh, they and he drops to number five. But then what? What after Tua and Burrow uh, for the quarterback prospects and who might the Patriots have their sights set on? Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, or whoever. Go.
0: I actually, So I actually think your Tua take is a little bit off now. I would say that Justin Herbert has replaced Tua as the number two quarterback in the draft at this point because of the medicals on Tagovailoa's hip and just the history of his injuries. I think the word that everybody in NFL circles is using right now with Tua is brittle, right? It's not necessarily that they're concerned about the past injuries. It's future injuries. How long is this guy going to last in the league? And when you look at that, it's really gets dicey for Tua if he gets past six at the Los Angeles Chargers. You got Burrow going one to Cincinnati. You got Justin Herbert going five to Miami, which I think is almost a lock at this point that they're more set in on Herbert than they are Tua. Then at six, you got the Chargers, who are kind of the wild card. Do they take Jordan Love? Do they take Tua? And at that point, once Tua gets past six, we could really be looking – at an Aaron Rodgers-type free fall unless somebody outside the conventional wisdom goes and grabs the quarterback just because he's the best player available on their board, which is potentially possible. I think that there's teams like, for instance uh Oakland uh, or the Las Vegas Raiders now who have Derek Carr, but maybe they draft Tua as kind of that guy behind Carr to push him or the future guy after Carr moves on. Maybe Tampa Bay is a team that takes Tua, uh, lets him sit behind Brady for a year or two and then brings him along as the starting quarterback. But once he gets past the Chargers at six, and then I would say also the Jaguars at nine are an interesting candidate for Tua as well. But I think the word on the street with the Jaguars is that they might actually prefer to build their roster up around the quarterback right now, roll with Gardner Minshew for another year, and then revisit the quarterback position in 2021 just because they have so many holes to fill on that team after trading Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye and a bunch of different pieces off. They really have a lot to fill. So the two-a-slide is definitely the story of the draft right now, Trags, and where he's going to end up going. And if he gets past six, if he gets past nine, then we're seriously starting to talk about it the possibility that he could be there at 23.
1: That is the next question. If you're the Patriots and you have that opportunity to pull the trigger on Tua, you take him?
0: I take him at 23. I don't trade up for him because I just think with the injury history, with the brittle label and the durability concerns – That's a legitimate concern that I wouldn't be willing to give up a lot of draft capital. You know, if you're going to look the trade up, let's say like to the 10th pick, for instance, you're trading this year's first, next year's first, and likely a mid-round pick to make that happen. That's a lot for a guy that has some serious question marks on him about the fact of whether or not he can stay on the field. So I'm not trading up to draft Tua, but I'd certainly take him if he fell to 23. He probably has the best footwork of any quarterback that I've seen in the draft over the last four or five years. Just an incredible pocket magician. A guy can really navigate the pocket extremely well. He's got great downfield accuracy. I call it FBI. He's just got this like intelligence about him, where he can has like eyes in the back of his head, and just kind of gets out of every little sack and every little crease that you would think where the pocket is kind of collapsing on him. He has this ability, this innate ability to find space and just find what, areas to maneuver and operate for himself. So he's got a little bit of Drew Brees in him. He's got a little bit of Russell Wilson in him. Him. that's obviously extremely high praise and ceiling comparisons not guys that are necessarily realistic comparisons but certainly where he could go eventually if he can stay on the field
1: misinformation do you think they there are people out there i mean certainly as you have mentioned and you've documented he has been in free fall uh, given all the stories that are out there but i am skeptical evan of a guy that, as t- as talented as Tua is, I'm skeptical of whether or not a lot of this free-fall projection uh, is planted and whether or not uh, we're thinking too much. And because, you know, throw the injury out. If he doesn't get hurt, he's clearly the second best or perhaps the top quarterback in the draft,
0: right? I would say he's probably the top quarterback in the draft if he's not injured. And I think the biggest reason why for me, is that Burrow was essentially a one-year wonder at LSU. I mean, if you go watch... Burrow in 2018, for example, it looks like a completely different quarterback. Now, kudos to him for really developing his skill and working on his craft and being able to get to that point. But a big reason why he took that leap in Joe Burrow we're talking about is because of Joe Brady and the offensive coaching staff that LSU implemented in that off season, and they really brought a whole new brand of offense to Baton Rouge, and it was just a completely different approach. So that really awoken... Joe Burrow to being the guy that we know he is today, whereas with Tua, this guy walked on to Alabama. I mean, obviously a scholarship player. I just mean he showed up at Alabama, and he was already an absolute stud. And he goes into that national title game as a true freshman at halftime and lights up the Georgia defense and wins the title for Bama. So he was that type of player instantly when he got to Alabama whereas I think with Burrow there's a little bit more of a progression and a little bit more of development needed and certainly with the transfer involved in there there's a lot more question marks with Burrow in terms of his past than Tua but at the same time Tua's got that medical red flag and that's going to certainly be something to monitor, I agree with you to the extent that I do believe also that we're starting to overhype it a little bit with Tagovailoa. And this fall, yeah, the name that everybody keeps on bringing up is Aaron Rodgers, right? At some point in time, you hit the cliff of the draft where everybody else is drafting position players based on need, and they're not looking at quarterbacks. They already have established veteran quarterbacks, and at some point in time, there's only a finite amount of teams that need a quarterback and that are going to take one in the first round and. And it sort of runs out if you're not one of those teams that ends up, you know, two almost ends up without a chair in the musical chairs if everybody that needs a quarterback passes on him and we start to get to the teens and there's really no viable or obvious option for him at that point.
1: Okay, let's look beyond the first round. And I think the next three names are maybe not clearly out of the first round, but I think we project them in days two and three. Jordan Love, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, or somebody else for the Patriots. Who do you like?
0: I think Jordan Love will be a first-rounder. I just think the traits are just too hard to ignore in terms of the arm talent and the ability to create plays. And just the playmaking ability of Jordan Love I think is too high. Jake Fromm is a type of player that I just think checks every single Patriots box. Cerebral quarterback before and after the snap. Understands how to get his offense in, in position to succeed. Understands how to read out coverages and find the right answers. Go one, two, three in a progression and just get the ball where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be there. An on-time, functional passer. And when you look at all those types of things it sort of kind of lends itself to a game manager label which maybe he is you know he doesn't turn the ball over much he's not going to wow you with playmaking or arm talents and have these incredible tight window throws or extend plays beyond what they're supposed to be extended on but at the same time you look at the ability to win from the pocket and just make on time in rhythm accurate throws within 20 yards be careful with the football sound mechanics as a pocket passer good footwork good kind of just leg drive and ability to get the ball out of his hands with some zip. I just think that he connects a lot of dots for them at that position where the Patriots will probably view him as to start a high end developmental backup and then potentially a guy that can push Stidham either this year or next year for that starting role if they do feel kind of uneasy about how things are going with Stidham. So I think he's right away a Brian Hoyer replacement and potentially kind of a candidate to compete with Stidham in training camp. The one that I think is the most fun though is Jalen Hurts. I just, I think that it's a completely start from scratch scenario and it makes it difficult, especially this off season, because you're going to be trading Stidham to be a pocket passer and kind of operate in the similar offense that you had with Tom Brady and then you're going to have to bring in Hurts who needs a whole completely different playbook essentially to succeed so it's a little bit difficult to have your backup be so different from your starter but at the same time there is a viable offense NFL offense with Hurts as the signal caller an offense that relies on his legs as an 11th man to play 11 on 11 you run a lot of different types of RPO actions you do run design quarterback runs for him. You get him involved with the running back in the backfield, with a lot of different fakes and actions there, and you create bigger passing windows and more obvious passing windows, so that the inability to pull the trigger sometimes on those tight window throws that you see with Hertz, he's got a little bit of a hesitant or a shy trigger finger. If you get those kind of big so, sort of passing windows and obvious sort of des- defined reads like Lincoln Riley does in his system, he's a viable passer. He's an accurate passer down the field. He has more better accuracy down the field than people give him credit for. He certainly has all the arm strength in the world. I also wouldn't sleep on Jacob Eason for the Patriots either. Not my pick by any means, but a big-arm quarterback that won in a pro-style offense at Washington, that has some starts under his belt, that has some things that you like about him, and some translatable traits easily into the Patriots offense, especially under operating under center in a play-action-heavy type of scheme. So Those three guys, I think, are take it or leave it sort of in the same tier. I put Justin Herbert and Jordan Love in their own tier, and then I put the top tier of Burrow and Tua.
1: What about Jalen Hurts and Taysom Hill uh, comps?
0: I don't agree with those comps because I just don't, I don't think that Taysom Hill has the resume that Jalen Hurts has as a passer. You know, this is a guy at Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts who really lit up the statue. And I know Baker Mayfield did the same and Kyler Murray did the same before that. So you could say that maybe it's more of Lincoln Riley than it is the actual quarterback making the throws. But at the same time, I I just can't see it any sort of, you know, history for Taysom Hill of having that same kind of success in a power five conference, on a very good football team, in big stages. I just never really saw that from Taysom Hill the same way that I see from Hertz.
1: All right. Enough of the quarterback position. Uh we'll be talking about that position well into the spring and summer, I'm sure. Tight end. Cole Komet of Notre Dame is a sure fa- a sure fire first-rounder, so says Chris Sims. You beg to differ. Uh, Adam Troutman of Dayton, who else?
0: Well, I think that those two are guys that have been at the top of everybody's list for a while now. The reason why I think the commit first-round stuff is just ridiculous is because when you really watch him play, he's a stiff guy. He's a plotter. He's got heavy feet. He's got an inability to change directions quickly, really is not a horizontal receiver. He's not a guy that's going to cut in and out of a break smoothly. He's stiff. He's rigid down the field. At the same time, He's huge. You know, he's six foot five. He's 262 pounds. He's got a good initial burst up the seam to really rumble down the field. And when he gets the ball on his hands at that frame, now you can cut him down. If you go low on him and you get him around the knees, you can cut him down pretty easily. But if you're going to try to take him on anything above the the hips or the waist, he's going to run you right over like a, like a bowling ball over pins. So that, that's sort of the type of player that you're getting. He's very stout at the point of attack as a blocker, but there's a lot of technician technique type stuff that he's got to work out he ends up on the ground way too much as a blocker because he gets his weight too far forward and he falls off of blocks trotman on the other hand much smoother as a route runner very nuanced route runner understands how to beat coverage understands how to manipulate defenders down the field get into blind spots set them up for breaks do that sort of thing and you can see the smoothness and kind of just the the all sport background of trotman really stands out now komet was a baseball pitcher Trotman was a basketball player. And I know that that's sort of like a tight end cliche, but you can really see the the smoothness of his downfield movements, the ability to go above the rim and win on jump balls, the ability to really set up with his footwork and kind of his cadences is, is a lot smoother than what you're going to get with Trotman. He, or with, with Komet, excuse me, he's not as stout at the point of attack as Komet. He doesn't have quite the same size, but he's still six foot five, 250 pounds. So we're not talking about a small player either. The guy that I think we really do need to talk about, though, at this position is Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic. He just won the Mackey Award last year in 2019 as the best tight end in the nation. There is some scuttlebutt that the Patriots have some interest in Harrison Bryant. I know Peter Schrager had them taking him in the first round. I think that's a little bit rich. Dane Burglar from the Athletic had him taking him in the third round. I think that's closer to where he's going to be at. He's a receiving tight end first that didn't test very well at the Combine. That's kind of the knock on him right now is he finished in the 18th percentile athletically at the Combine for a flex tight end, which is not exactly what you're looking for. But the technical savvy of his route running, extremely precise, very good at the line of scrimmage, performed well against Ohio State with Jeff Akuta and Damon Arnett and all those guys that are going to be NFL draft picks. Okuda is going to probably be a top 10 pick. So there's a lot to like about Harrison Bryant, too. He's not a blocker, but he's not afraid to mix it up in the running game either. He will throw a block, he's just not an effective people mover at at this stage in his game. The one thing I really like about him, too, going up the seam is he does has a really kind of innate ability of limiting surface area. So what I mean by that is sort of just slithering by guys and sort of ducking away from contact in order to prevent them from getting their hands on him and really slowing him down once he gets up to top speed and he makes some good downfield adjustments on the ball also. If you want to go check him out, go watch him against Ohio State last year. I think he had about 76 receiving yards he really held his own against a power five big time defense and that's kind of what put him on the map and then obviously he wins the mackey award goes for over a thousand yards as a tight end for florida atlantic and i think that those three guys are sort of what we're dealing with at that position by now
1: all right i'm going to move on to running backs Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire of LSU, Cam Akers, Florida State. By the way, Jonathan Taylor, I think everybody listening would understand and know already he's from Wisconsin. Zach Moss of Utah and J.K. Dobbins. I'm a big fan of his from Ohio State. Uh, anybody else? And um, do you think any of those five would fit the Patriots at 23 or later? Oh.
0: Oh, boy. If they take a running back at 23, I think Patriots fans might riot. Well, uh,
1: that means, you know, they are just – They might do it. They just might do it.
0: I know. So I think the guy that I probably like – the Listen, I like Clyde Edwards-Helair the most out of that group. I think he's going to probably finish – Jonathan Taylor probably finishes my RB1, but, but Edwards Elair is right behind him at RB2. The issue with Edwards Elair, I think he's got insane lateral agility, insane contact balance, ability to make jump cuts, right? Just jump in and out of tackles all over the field. He's got plus receiving skills, but he ran, I think it was a 4-6 in the 40 yard dash. He reminds me from an athletic profile, a lot of Sony Michelle. So I'm not sure if his open field kind of elusiveness that we see at LSU is going to 100% translate to the NFL. I think that's the biggest concern with him. Jonathan Taylor is the perfect prospect for me as a running back, honestly. Not quite on like a Saquon Barkley type level, but in terms of like the mid twenties, he's absolutely perfect. Great speed, great burst, great power behind his pads, ability to catch passes out of the backfield if you want that out of your running backs. But really, the navigation between the tackles and the vision, the understanding of his rules and ways to set up blocks between the trenches in the tackles, that's exactly where he wins on a regular basis where some of these other running backs don't. He has that innate ability to kind of Make moves before he gets to his block in order to make the fit easier for his blocker. It's very Frank Gore-esque. And that, that's a skill that's not necessarily easy for most running backs to pick up. But the one guy I want to mention, you know, before we move on here is Antonio Gibson from Memphis. He was probably going to be a late day two guy and, you know, fringe top 100 player. He's an all around player. He's mostly running back. But he's also a little bit of receiver, slot receiver, and certainly catches balls out of the back, backfield a lot. 439 speed, breakaway speed, guy that can really get uh, big plays off the defense. This is a guy that has seven TDs in his career of 40 plus yards. Awesome contact balance and jump cuts in space. But he's really a very good power and zone runner too. Good patience behind his pullers. Understands how to one cut and go out of zone schemes. He looks to me like the type of guy the Patriots would like as more of like an offensive weapon. Just a versatile player that can do it all. Maybe in like the mold of like a Cordero Patterson closer to that than what you're going to actually get out of a true running back.
1: We say Jonathan Taylor and the Patriots aren't in the market for a running back, but if he's the best player on the board, and he has that kind of decision making that if you see it, I'm sure Belichick and Josh McDaniel see it as well. If he's there, maybe they do take him. I, I mean, I don't, all I know is he is, um, arguably the best all around running back in the draft coming out.
0: I agree. I think that there's a little bit of concern with him in terms of two things. One, he's not the burstiest player as a ball carrier. So meaning he's not. A zero to sixty guy, right? He's got good long speed. He tested well with that at the combine and the mid four fours, but he's not the type of guy that's just going to put his foot in the ground and absolutely take off. He's more of a builder of speed. The other element of it too that I would say is that at Wisconsin, you know how they use their running backs there. They drive those guys into the ground. You know, there's a guy that's going to have a couple of seasons there at Wisconsin of over 250-plus touches, 300 touches, something like that. So he does have some tread on the tires. But I think that the ability really to read and kind of react to things, changing pictures after the snap from the defense, different types of blocking fits and how they fit together, and how he can really just utilize his blockers to the – utmost potential to the most efficient way possible that's really a skill that he's the best at out of anybody in this class I would say and then once he does get into that open field and into that top speed he certainly has the ability to break away from the defense
1: all right the Patriots missed last year on Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf a lot of Patriot fans want at number 23 for the Patriots to make amends at the wide receiver position and Um, certainly you've written about this, Evan. Um, this is one of the deeper drafts in recent memory for top level wide receiver or what, you know, wide receiver one, if you will, um, talent, uh, in recent memory, T Higgins of Clemson, Justin Jefferson of LSU, Henry Ruggs of Alabama, Jerry Judy, also of Alabama and CD Lamb of Oklahoma. Go.
0: Well, it's really an interesting question. I have about 18 guys right now at the wide receiver position that I think are going to finish with a day one or day two grade in my system so that's incredible that's a huge group of a huge number of players to make up you know literally one fifth of the top 100 is going to be wide receivers that that's incredible to think about I think Justin Jefferson's probably the most pro-ready receiver in this class of the guys that the Patriots really truly have a chance at. I think Lamb, Judy, and Ruggs are going to be off the board in the top 15 picks. I I don't think that they're going to have a chance to get at him. Justin Jefferson, I think, has a chance to fall to them at 23. What I love most about him is that in 2018 – You can go back to his 2018 season as a sophomore and turn on that tape and you see an outside receiver, a guy that's winning against press coverage, winning down the field with great adjustments and body control and ability to hold off defenders at the catch point. Then in 2019, they have – you know, they had Jamar Chase in there. They moved Justin Jefferson inside to the slot, and he absolutely dominates college football in the slot. Third in, y- in yards, second in TDs. First in receptions out of the slot, first in yards out of the slot. The ability to really pace routes, understand spacing between the numbers, accelerate in and out of his breaks and create separation, run option routes, run deep over routes and deep crossers and other types of chunk plays, horizontally stretching the defense using his speed that way instead of, you know, kind of a vertical route runner, and then the ability to create after the catch, it's all there for Justin Jefferson. If the Patriots drafted him, he would be the most complete receiver that Bill Belichick has ever drafted. You know, the guy that's the most pro-ready, the most polished, the most complete package at that position. We're not talking about Chad Jackson or Nikhil Harry or Aaron Dobson where you really need to work on a lot of things to get him there. Je- Jefferson's the type of guy that you can just plug and play day one as a start starter as one of your top three guys and he's going to win and be successful at the nfl level if you want to be more on the upside side of things and go with a little bit more of a projection then denzel mims out of baylor checks a lot of their boxes at a receiving prospect for the x receiver spot size at six foot three 215 pounds speed at 438 and explosiveness three cone time 6.6 seconds he has the ability to really create a ton of mismatches with his athletic ability and his explosiveness. He's a guy that was a former track star. He had set the high school state record for the 200 meter. Back in high school, he's an absolute burner on the outside. And because of his track background, he has a really good start. You know, that really good kind of first 10 yards where he gets on guys. And then down the field, he uses that six foot three frame with that insane catch radius to really create space for himself, even when he has coverage on him or he's draped over and stuff like that. He has that ability to reach outside his frame or create late separation with body positioning and body control. That's a really fun player. I think the one player that we're also sleeping on a little bit for the Patriots and wide receiver in the first round is Jalen Rager from TCU. Rager had the worst quarterback situation out of any receiver prospect in this draft. He ranked 118th out of 120 qualified receivers and catchable (laughs) targets catchable target so throws that he actually had a chance right. of catching 118 out of 120 so that explains a lot of why his production isn't first round worthy when you turn on the tape you see a guy that's similar in style I would say to a Brandon Cooks. An absolute burner can win over the top but the difference between him and Cooks I would say is after the catch Rager is a punt returner. He's an extremely good one at that and he's got the ability to create it with the ball in his hands and the awareness to do so a lot more than Cooks did and he also has the ability to go above the defense with a 42 inch vertical and win and contested catches down the field so you can get him the ball in his hands on screens on reverses on jets sweeps, uh, little quick hitches and let him create. You can throw him the ball on vertical passes down the field and you watch tape of him against Ohio State, against Purdue, and these corners are having a tough time with his speed. And they really are thinking about him sort of winning over the top and then he can win underneath the defense and create after the catch with those guys bailing or opening early to constantly be staying over the top of his explosiveness. Last guy I want to mention before we move on, Michael Pittman out of USC. I think he's a player that a lot of Patriots fans are going to see some Nikhil Harry in him initially when they look at his athletic profile and his highlight tape. You turn on his highlight tape, he's a six foot four receiver. So a lot of his highlight splash plays are him winning jump balls down the field. You know, two or three guys are on him and he's just going above the defense and being a man amongst boys. But when you actually watch him specifically and really study him closely, He has a lot more route-running precision than you would expect. A guy that can win at the X position but certainly has an underneath and intermediate route-running game that I think really translates more to a possession receiver than necessarily just a vertical guy that's going to win on jump balls down the field. He's got great ability to kind of figure out soft spots and zone coverage, sit down curl routes inside, understanding spacing, understanding how to work off of zone defenders. He can run a slant. He can run a dig. He can run routes that are going to be more permanent production for him at the NFL level and isn't going to be solely reliant on the contested catches. Here reminds me a little bit of like a Brandon LaFell, and hopefully you just get – Four or five years of Brandon LaFell type production in 2014, instead of one or two, maybe a more consistent version of that type of player.
1: But not a Nikhil Harry. I mean, because not when you're, n- Harry. yeah, when you're talking about going up and competing, that's what the Patriots were supposed to be getting with Nikhil Harry, a red zone weapon.
0: That's certainly something that Pittman does. And like I said, when you turn on the highlights, that's exactly what you're going to see: is a six foot four downfield monster if you go watch him against utah probably the best tape of any wide receiver prospect in this class is michael pittman against utah he had almost 200 receiving yards against an nfl secondary we're talking about a, a secondary with guys like jalen johnson and terrell burgess and javelin gidry guys that are going to get drafted this weekend that in that utah secondary that pittman just absolutely dominated up and down the field so again you're going to turn on the tape you're going to see jump balls you're going to see highlight reels on youtube you're going to see the contested catches down the field. Go and watch him specifically in a game, a full game, right? Don't just go watch the highlights, and you'll see more of a possession receiver than he gets credit for.
1: All right, we're going to move on to the offensive lineman. Look, I think – with what the Patriots on paper have going into next season, Isaiah Wynn, uh, Joe Tooney, obviously, um, David Andrews, Shaq Mason, and Marcus Cannon at the other tackle position. Uh, and they've got Yadni Kajust and, uh, Hajalti Froholt, um, and Illuminor, they, uh, Jermaine Illuminor, they just re-signed. So I think they've got a lot of depth there. I certainly would not expect them to get, uh, take a, offensive lineman um in the first round uh you agree
0: i agree as well yeah i think that the the chance is that josh jones from houston who's kind of the fifth tackle is, is is often considered a big four tackle class and josh jones is that fifth guy on everybody's board And he has an opportunity to really be there at 23 and is the long athletic left tackle prospect. You know, total opposite of of a prospect from a guy like Isaiah Wynn, where Isaiah Wynn's technical savvy and sort of fundamentals and footwork are so sound and so clean. Josh Jones just has the prototypical left tackle build and left tackle feet. So it's a much different prospect. So I could see if they're not – So totally convinced in Isaiah Wynn or they're actually thinking of moving Isaiah Wynn inside at some point to guard that they do have the ability to maybe draft Josh Jones in the first round and get that sort of more moldable frame for that sort of position. What you're kind of looking for from a cookie cutter standpoint. After that, I think what they're really looking for is depth and sort of a guy that can move around and play multiple spots. Not necessarily a guy that's going to project as a starter, but think about maybe like a Ted Karras type, you know, a player that can just sort of come in and back up two or three different spots. Some guys to consider for that, I would say Ben Bettison from Michigan is an interesting player, four-year starter, two-time captain, Built like an NFL guard. I think he could probably play center because he's pretty savvy and smart like that. Very nasty and just rugged offensive lineman. Exactly sort of what you think of when you think of Dante Scarnecchia, although he's not there anymore. There's that sort of ruggedness and that toughness and that you know chiseled sort of aspect of him. I really like him. I really like Robert Hunt out of Louisiana too. He's got some tackle guard versatility. When you look at him, he sort of reminds me a little bit more of a right guard in the Patriots system than the right tackle, but he's certainly one of those guys that can be a bulldozer on the right side, which is usually what they go for on that side of the line. They want guys Guys like Marcus Cannon, like Shaq Mason that are really going to move guys off the ball. Exactly. And Hunt is certainly that type of guy that when you go and you watch his tape, for instance, against Georgia Southern, you can watch their first opening drive. It takes 40 seconds of your day, and you will see this guy put more guys into the ground in one in 142nd one <laughs> clip than any of these other guys are putting people into the ground in full games you know he's just taking guys and he is slamming them and throwing them out of the club as as Gronk would say so those two guys i would say are are more you know I probably later on and then obviously Robert Hunt, I would say probably in the second or the third round. John Simpson out of Clemson's interesting. Logan Stenberg out of Kentucky also interesting. More guard prospects, interior guys. I, I think that it really it's hard to tell tracks of what exactly they feel about their depth, right? Because I think that they feel pretty good about their starting five. You know, Wynn, Tooney, Andrews, Mason, Cannon. That's a very solid starting five. Good mix of young players and veterans. But at the same time, behind that, you got Yelda Froholt, you got Jermaine Illuminor, you have Yodney Kajus coming back. But how certain are they of those players? And do they feel like they have a Ted Karras right now? That if one of those interior starters falls – do they have a guy that can step in and give them 14, 15 games of at least passable starting-type production?
1: Speaking with Evan Lazar going over all things 2020 NFL Draft this Thursday through Saturday as it uh, pertains to the New England Patriots. Evan obviously does an amazing job covering the Patriots and the NFL for CLNS Media. Follow him on Twitter at... E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and Props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they are bringing the Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. If you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All are open 24 hours a day and all online. Visit the website or... Of course you can always use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus bet online your online wagering solution back with Evan Lazar. Let's move on to the defense now and we're going to start with defensive line and a position with uh, you know the losses of people, you know guys like Malcolm Brown um, might be an area where uh the Patriots need to uh, again, build that depth. Uh, you know, you take a look at their line right now. It's Lawrence Guy, John Simon still uh, on the roster. They have Chase Winovich. They have Adam Butler. He was re-signed. Uh, they have Dietrich Weich. Uh, but it's a situation where I think they could build some depth here. I just don't think they're going to do it on the first day.
0: Interesting. I, I think that this is a sneaky position where, first of all, Belichick is usually pretty Good at identifying defensive line talent and drafting it early and then being able to get those guys into a spot where they can succeed. I think that it was a sneaky sort of, what's the word, Achilles heel of that defense last year. That They didn't have great depth and versatility up front along the defensive line. They were pretty much locked into that 3-4 the entire year. And they didn't really have a third or a fourth defensive end that could come in and really be stout against the run, you know? So they rotated through guys like Adam Butler or, or whoever it might have been. And it never really stuck. It never really worked the way that they wanted to do. Certainly the Michael Bennett experiment didn't work the way they wanted. So the guys that I would look for in the draft, I mean, the obvious name is AJ Epinenza from Iowa. This is a cookie cutter pick. You know, absolutely perfect fit for the Patriots. You pick him, you plug and play him as a starter next year, and you don't think twice about it. Does he have the highest upside in the draft? Certainly not. He's more of like a low-floor, high floor, low ceiling type prospect. But in the Patriots system, I would not be surprised that they have a very high grade on him, just because of the ability to understand what role he's going to play and have him plug and play there and not be concerned about it. The other name I would really look for early in the draft, Yatir Grosmatos out of Penn State. He's more of the raw upside player. Super athletic, very, very good get-off, very good athletic quickness on the inside to use his moves and kind of shake defenders and is just completely a slippery guy he's just extremely slippery to get his hands on him he's got great length great size six foot five 35 inch arms can line up pretty much anywhere i think you could put him on the nose i think you could put him at wide nine and or as like a stand-up edge rusher and he'd probably do well just the same he reminds me a lot of chandler jones coming out of syracuse i remember the whole thing with chandler was just that he has in tremendous athletic upside but he's extremely raw with his technique similar thing with gross matos Hands need work, you know, timing, punch placement, repertoire of pass rush moves. All that stuff needs a lot of kind of fine tooling. But at the same time, you have that athletic upside, which offers you probably closer to like a Pro Bowl caliber player than what you're going to get out of Epinenza. I think the final guy that we should probably mention is Marlon Davidson out of Auburn, who is just a worker bee. He's just a consistent player, four-year starter at Auburn. When you watch him on tape, he doesn't – pop out at you. you know. He's not a guy that's super impressive. He doesn't make a ton of splash plays. He's not living in the backfield, but he's a do-your-job type of guy. He's going to set the edge. He's going to have a disciplined rush. He's not going to rush past the quarterback. He's not going to hit you with a bunch of different moves. It's going to be one move and go. We're going to push the pocket. We're going to get after the QB and get in his face, and then we're going to set a very hard, good edge with great hand placement and great shed power in the upper body as well. So Davidson's the type of guy that I see in the Lot of mocks to the Patriots, maybe as a trade back candidate, like in the late 30s or something like that. It's a little high for my blood for a guy that really doesn't pop off the tape at you. But at the same time, I can see this sort of projection of a very just stout, sound, fundamentally kind of just perfect prospect for what they like to do up front.
1: You had some great film breakdown on Twitter uh, of Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina. Jadotian. Same school as Jadavian Clowney, obviously, and I'm- Correct. It, there's no way he falls to the Patriots at 23, right?
0: So here's the thing. I don't think there is a way that he falls to the Patriots at
1: 23
0: realistically, but at the same time, we talked about it with Tua, and he's an interior defensive lineman, and at some point in time, the value of that position gets depreciated in the draft, and once you get past a certain number, you know, how many teams in the top 20 picks are clamoring to get a defensive tackle? It's just not a position in this day and age. Belichick that a, is. <laughs> Belichick is, certainly. But it's not a position in this day and age that has a lot of kind of flash value or, or valuable in terms of like the analytics of the whole thing. Right. right. Unless you're a, I, I
1: see where you're going with that.
0: Right. Unless you're an a insanely good pass rusher from the interior, it's not a position that NFL teams really are – prioritizing as first round value so kinlaw has the opportunity i think to fall a little bit especially when you start to factor in four offensive tackles four quarterbacks chase young jeff akuta isaiah simmons you know just go on down the line the four wide receivers or at least three wide receivers there's about 15 to 20 guys that i could list off to you tracks that are guaranteed to go in the top 20 and Kinlaw is sort of in that group of five or six players that's sort of in that next wave of, yeah, he'll probably go top 20, but we're not a 100% sure that he's going to go there. Six foot five, 35-inch arms, long, probably out of any of the prospects that I've watched, the best puncher with his hands and that initial jolt that he gets on offensive linemen is just, it pops right off the tape at you. You know, just the ability to get into the chest and just really throw a guy back. That is a hundred percent there. He plays a little bit out of control at times. So I actually think that a system like the Patriots is going to slow him down and he's going to become a two gapper here and he's going to be able to read and react to things and he's not going to be a bull in a China shop all the time. That was what we saw a little bit out of his tape last year was head down. Boring through because of that great first step explosiveness and upper body power. He can just bull rush his way into the pocket and just collapse the thing. But where's the ball? Right? You know, that's, yeah. that's the question. And so sometimes he does get a little bit out of control. So if you can get him into a two gapping system, let him read blocks, let him read leverages, let him understand and read and react to the running back. Look through the blocker, find the ball carrier. Just be patient that I think that he can really thrive here. And then the pass rush ability is certainly there too. The first step, explosiveness, the bull rushing power, the ability to use his hands as weapons, all that kind of stuff is 100% there. If he falls to the Patriots at 23, then Belichick is going to, I don't know, Zoom call or whatever they're going to do. He's going to be jumping for joy uh, in in his little war room in his house because that is the exact type of player that will thrive here and sort of that exact type of talent that just – falls just because of positional value in this sort of draft
1: would bill rather and in his years past uh the way you look at it do you think he would rather have an edge rusher who can move inside or an interior lineman who can play outside
0: I think the second one, and which is exactly what Kinlock can do, right? right. Kinlock can be a five technique defensive end, lining up head up over the tackle, and then on passing downs you can put him in the in the A gap and have him rush on the guard in the center, and he can do it all the same. He can go up and down the line. And I think that ability there is probably what ends up getting him drafted before the Patriots are on the clock. It's just that. The fact that he is so eye-popping on tape and so powerful and explosive as an athlete in his lower half and his upper body, that's the traits that are going to get him drafted in the top 20. But the versatility, the alignment versatility, is what's going to lock him in from a positional value standpoint. Teams in a 3-4 are going to view him as a defensive end, not as a defensive tackle. And that's going to take his value and really uh, you know, up it a little bit for those types of, of schemes.
1: What about... I I hesitate to even draw this comp, but Vince Wilfork, because Wilfork could play outside. And- so
0: Wilfork, to me, the Wilfork of this draft is more Derek Brown from Auburn than okay. it is in Law. And I think that that's an interesting comparison, though, in terms of just a guy falling, right? I mean, you remember 2004, Wilfork was not supposed to be there. Right. That was that was a miracle that Vince Wilfork made it that far down the draft board. The reason why he made it there was because of the reasons why we're talking about he was a nose tackle when a league that was really starting to develop into this pass happy league. It just didn't make any sense to draft a guy that on third down, quite frankly, Vince was a pocket pusher that was Incredibly elite at that, a great bull rusher, but it wasn't he wasn 't the type of guy that you'd necessarily think of, especially now in this day and age right as a as a true power rusher, as a true pass rusher an effector of the pocket. Derek Brown reminds me a lot of him elite elite athleticism for a big guy, right three hundred and thirty pounds but moves like he 's two eighty he has the ability to really hold up at the point of attack against double teams, lock out as a two gapper unbelievably strong upper body and he's got that powerful club move and sort of just that bull rushing mentality as the pass rusher that he can be really effective and every once in a while you see him slip a block right he's got that lateral quickness to just kind of jump in and out of a block and and have a guy whiff on him and then get into the backfield so he's the will fork in the draft I would say Kinlaw is a little bit more athletic a little bit more springy than a guy like will fork is but both of those guys have the chance to have the same will fork kind a kind of slide like we saw in 2004.
2: If you've been following me on Twitter, you may have noticed I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I decided it's time to get back to my MVP weight, so I started awakening 180 weight loss. I'm already feeling fantastic. The best part, I'm already down nine pounds. I could have hit the treadmill for a year and not seen the results that I've had with Awaken 180. Just like during my plan days, Awaken is all about losing weight and focusing on nutrition, coaching, and science. No pills, no gym. As you know, I travel a ton, but no worries there because Awaken 180 has a worldwide program. I can still have my weekly consults via Skype. When I'm back in Boston, I visit the government center location. Besides healthy living, my favorite part about Awaken is free support for lives. We are all stuck at home these days, but join me and get healthy. Call the solution for weight loss. Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Get on board just as I did. Go to Awaken180WeightLoss.com.
1: All right, on the linebackers. Uh, Kyle Van Noyoff to the Miami Dolphins, and he filled a very valuable uh, role with the Patriots. I thought he played incredibly consistently the last two seasons with the Patriots uh, under Belichick's um, and, obviously, Gerard Mayo's um, defensive system, both Belichick, I I should say, Stephen and Bill. Um, Who do you look at in this class who, if they're not filling Kyle Van Noy's role per se, could come in and make an impact. Uh, And I'm looking at the first two days of this draft. Isaiah Simmons of Clemson, Patrick Queen of LSU, Kenneth Murray, Oklahoma. A lot of these guys will probably be gone first day. But Zach Bond, Wisconsin, um, Malik Harrison of Ohio State. uh, What are you looking at in linebacker position?
0: Okay, so Isaiah Simmons, take him off the board. He's not going to be there. Top 10 lock. Okay, next nut guy on the list, Patrick Queen, my linebacker one in this class absolute stud just the fastest click and close click and close means I see the blocking scheme I see the ball carrier I'm in the gap just like that right just instant burst to the to the ball that's what you get with Patrick Queen this is a guy that really it's incredible to watch him because He will get to where the point of attack is because he'll understand the developing blocking scheme. He'll see the pulling guard on power or counter, and he'll know, okay, they're trying to hit this in the in the B-gap or hit this in the A-gap. He gets there before the ball even gets in the running back's belly. You know, he's there already, and he's waiting for the running back. That's the type of kind of instinctive click and close, whatever you want to call it. That's what he brings to the table but he's only 229 pounds. So we're essentially talking about a safety playing linebacker that just has incredible feel against the run. That's not typically Bill Belichick's MO, right? He's the you know, Dante not, Hightower's, right. the Juwan Bentley's of the world, the 255, 260 downhill
1: pounds. Downhill linebacker, Downhill
0: thumpers. That's right. not Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen is the lateral first agility type player. I would say the next guy on the list, Kenneth Murray is, we're getting closer now. Now we're getting closer to the Belichick kind of archetype. 241 pounds, six foot two. He has the ability to be a little bit more versatile than Patrick Queen, which is why I kind of like him for the Patriots a little bit is because he can play on the line and off the line. So we're talking about a guy that in my mind, is a lot like Jamie Collins, okay? Very good sideline-to-sideline speed. His range and his athleticism in space is what's going to get him drafted in the first round. His processing speed is slow. He doesn't understand how to fill things yet. He doesn't understand what he's seeing all the time. Very similar to Jamie Collins in that regard as well. So you can play him off the ball 80% of the time. You can play him on the ball 20% of the time. Have that same similar split that they had with Collins last year. He's a very effective edge rusher in terms of stunts and twists and pick plays and stuff like that. He'll stunt right into the middle and wrap around right through the center of the line, and he plays with a great play speed and physicality to just run right through the trenches and be able to close on the quarterback he has processing issues he's mentally slow that part of his game is going to have to pick up the rest of the athleticism to have him reach his ceiling but it reminds me a ton of what they drafted jamie collins back in 2013 and what they like about collins as a player same general strengths and weaknesses zach bond's the last well there's two more names zach bond from wisconsin is an on the line of scrimmage player to me, not an off the ball guy. He's Kyle Van Noy 2.0. He's a little bit smaller than Van Noy. Doesn't have quite the same build where Van Noy is a big guy. You know, he's six foot three, two fifty, 250, two fifty five, and he had a frame of six foot three that he could really fill out. Bond doesn't quite have that, but he's got very good pass rush technique, a very good hand fighter already at this stage. He's got a good long arm. He's got a good two-hand swipe to bend the corner around the edge, and then he's got a nasty inside spin move has a counter when guys start to overset towards the speed rush. So he has that ability to rush the passer. He can set the edge and play the run. The only issue with Bond is that he does have a little bit of an injury history back in twenty seventeen and in twenty eighteen. He broke the same foot, the left foot, twice in a row, two seasons in a row. So that's what's probably gonna knock him down a little bit more. He's a jack of all trades. He's probably one of those guys that's good at everything and not dominant at one thing. So that's smells Belichick all over it because a lot of coaches and teams and general managers are afraid to draft that kind of player because they're not 100% sure, okay, what's this guy great at and what, how is he going to be great at the next level, whereas Belichick will say, I can play him off the ball, I can play him on the ball, I can run this scheme with him, I can run that scheme with him, and he's going to have all the ability and all the versatility in the world. The final name, Lee Harrison from Ohio State, this is your downhill thumper. This is the guy that's going to come through the line and blow up rock block blocking schemes and running plays just with his physicality and his downhill trigger. He's six foot three, 250 pounds, thumping, old school, throwback, whatever term you want to use, linebacker. And he fits the Patriots mold at that position to an absolute T, pretty much up and down the line. He's a little bit high-waisted, so he's got some issues with leverage, you know, getting really underneath guys and having that upward leverage to move guys backwards. But at the same time, he's going to affect the run. He has 4.66 speed, which is above-average speed for a linebacker, so he has some ability to play in space, I think, to some degree. He, on day two, is a perfect Patriots fit. And I'll also throw in Logan Wilson from Wyoming, too, Productive three year captain, well built, six foot two, 245, very good athlete, tested extremely well. He's your run and chase linebacker. He's an extremely sound tackler, doesn't miss a tackle, extremely good at just kind of finding the ball, going sideline to sideline and cleaning up the trash. If he gets guys up on him, he's a little bit, has issues Deconstructing blocks, getting off of blockers once they do fit to him. But once he, if you can keep them clean in something like a three-four, where you're having those D linemen eat up a lot of blockers, then Wilson's the type of guy that's just going to come in and clean everything up.
1: All right, we're on to cornerbacks, and I think the top two are not going to be there. Um, certainly for no. the Patriots at twenty-three, Jeff Okuda of Ohio State, who had a sensational year for the Buckeyes. C.J. Henderson of Florida. You agree those two are off the board?
0: I do, and I would say that. A.J. Terrell and Jeff Gladney from TCU TCU. are probably going to be off the board at some point either in the 20 and Jalen Johnson from Utah. Those kind of that's the group in the first round, I would say.
1: Christian Fulton and uh, Vela Eshoo and Trayvon Diggs of Alabama.
0: I'm actually going to go with neither one of those guys. I'm going to hit a different name. Cameron Dansler from Mississippi State who has inconsistent tape. There's no doubt about it. Some games he's great, some games he is not. The Patriots had a video call with him, you know, one of those top 30 visits with him during this process. When I watch him play, and if they draft him, the first question I'm going to ask him is how much Stephon Gilmore tape have you watched over the last year? Because when you watch him play, he is trying to mimic Stephon Gilmore. It's just too obvious for him not. He's a long, aggressive press corner that can get into guys' faces, and what he does is, is same with Gilmore, as he stays square at the line of scrimmage for extremely long period of time for most corners, and he just trusts his speed to be able to stay over the top of guys, and he stays square, and he smothers routes early in the route, and he doesn't allow wide receivers to move him off his spot with their route breaks, right? Because we're route releases, because releases are designed to create space, right? To get upfield. You want to get the corner to move. You want him to move sideways, horizontally on the line of scrimmage, and that opens up an avenue for the receiver to release upfield. Dancer will just stand there. He'll be very square to the line of scrimmage. He'll not allow you to move him off his spot, and he'll force you to run through you and Run down the field that way, exactly the same way that Stefan Gilmore plays the position. If you go watch Danzler against LSU and Jamar Chase, he's probably the best performance of a cornerback against Jamar Chase last year, the Blitnikoff winner of any player really in college football. He did the best at defending Jamar Chase, including guys like, you know, that we mentioned, A.J. Terrell, uh, Christian Fulton, you know, those guys all went up against him, and it was really Dancer that impressed me the most on tape.
1: I'm going to throw a name out at you uh, that uh, you may not have watched tape on him or you may have, Marcus Lewis of Maryland, and there's a reason I'm bringing him up.
0: I did not watch tape of this one, so you you got me.
1: Uh, played with J.C. Jackson at Maryland. Okay. And, uh, he is regarded by a lot of people, uh, been watching on Twitter and on different sites as a potential, uh, sleeper. Um, he's the kind of guy that could pr- more, more than likely probably be, uh, a free agent, uh, signee, you know, as mm-hmm. soon as the draft is over on, uh, Saturday. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, he certainly has a lot of Big Ten experience and, this is a good uh, reminder that Bill Belichick likes to pick guys from programs he's comfortable with who have produced uh, who have produced for him and who have players on their current roster who could help them um, you know acclimate to New England
0: yeah that's a great point I think the point of familiarity and just taking from a school that he trusts the coaching staff. And we're not just talking about drafting guys from like Alabama or, or Kirk Ferentz in Iowa. You know, I'm talking about guys that he really looks at and says, that's a good coach that's a good coach with a good staff. And I know that this guy has been coached up properly.
1: Yeah, I really do think that uh, is a critical aspect Uh, when you're wondering what is Belichick and his staff thinking, that's something to keep in mind uh, throughout the three days of the draft, which you certainly can follow all weekend long on clnsmedia.com. I hope you follow Evan Lazar. A couple of things I want to touch in on uh, before we wrap it up here. First of all, special teams, any kicker, Hunter returner that we should keep an eye on.
0: So Taylor Bass from Georgia Southern's, my kicking prospect in this draft, cool demeanor, even keeled, not going to get high, too high or too low, not going to let one kick impact him better than the next. Huge leg kickoff specialist and long with a long ball kicker. Not as accurate as like a Rodrigo Blankenship, but just the, the, he's got that kind of kicking mentality of short memory, let's move on. The one kick return specialist I would look at is Joe Reed from Virginia. Who I think is probably going to get drafted a little bit higher than people think as a, just a do it all offensive weapon. Throw it to him out of the backfield, put him in the slot, have him win that way, throw him a screen, throw him a little slip into the, into the flat and he can kind of create after the catch. But as a kickoff specialist, this guy is an absolute dynamite kick returner. Great vision, good enough speed to break away. I think that he's got the opportunity to make a football team solely on the fact that he's a great kick and punt returner.
1: Give you another name in the kicking uh, game to keep an eye on, Sam Sloman of Miami of Ohio. I know he's already met with the Rams and the Colts virtually, so I don't think it would be that shocking to uh, see Sam Sloman wind up in the NFL throughout uh, this three-day drafting process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Doug Kite, actually, of Nessun, uh he does like the... Measurables sort of best Patriots fit just solely off of like the athletic profile. I think he mentioned Solomon today. So a guy that maybe uh, the Patriots could be looking for as well.
1: You know, I also say that because my daughter goes there.
0: Yes, I know.
1: I had to get a Homer angle in there somehow. All right. Uh, I had the privilege uh, a couple of weeks ago to sit in on the Patriots Hall of Fame selection committee uh to actually select the candidates not select the actual uh finalist for um the 2020 patriots hall of fame and i came up with several names and bill parcells was one of the names i suggested and supported um i also uh supported uh the names of logan mankins who is the best offensive lineman I've seen in my time here the most consistent dominating offensive lineman. Uh, I did not see John Hanna play certainly. Uh, but when you talk about uh, offensive lineman year in and year out, I don't think there was anybody better than Logan Mankins. And I said Wes Welker, that was third on my Ballot, uh, because I thought Wes Welker really re-, re, uh, actually defined the slot receiver position, uh, for the Patriots and, uh, really started, I think, to help revolutionize the uh, Patriots offense for Tom Brady and, in, in kind of the Dynasty 2.0, if you will.
0: Yeah. Listen, I'm the biggest Wes Welker fan. Maybe it's just because, you know, that was sort of my sweet spot of growing up. But at the same time, it's when you watch what he did. In the slot, it's different from what Julian Edelman did. He was a different type of player in my mind. Edelman was a little bit more of an inside outside guy, whereas Welker was really just solely a slot guy. Right. But he reinvented the position essentially. He invented the position. I shouldn't even say reinvented. He was the reason why team, the slot cornerback is now a starter in the NFL. He's the reason why teams run out of nickel on defense and eleven personnel on offense so often is because of guys like Wes Welker. He was as dynamic at the top of a, of the route in his route breaks and the setup into his route breaks and his stems as any receiver that you're going to see wear a Patriot uniform. I understand he didn't win a Super Bowl and he's had some chokes, at, you know, in big moments that people always get caught up on. But just from a just a talent standpoint and just an incredibly gifted and savvy receiver Uh, Wes Welker is the best Patriot receiver I've seen wide out certainly besides maybe Randy Moss but just you know in terms of longevity and the ability to do it at a high level Wes Welker is up there with anybody
1: so all of that being said the three finalists for the 2020 Hall of Fame class Bill Parcells Richard Seymour, and Mike Vrabel. This is the first time since 2014 wow. that Bill Parcells, who was the top of my ballot, um, got uh, first place votes from me. Uh, it is the first time since 2014 that Bill Parcells um, is considered a finalist for this. Uh, voting continues through May 8th on Patriots.com. Um, look, Seymour and Vrabel are eventually going to get in as players um, in the Patriots Hall. I, I'm of the firm belief in that regard. But I think now is the time for Bill Parcells. What say you?
0: So I'm assuming that you're in the camp of like, none of this happens without Bill Parcells.
1: I don't think not. So that's not how I would phrase it, how I would phrase it. And I did this on Twitter and I said this, I said, Seymour and Vrabel clearly deserving for their on-field contributions, but Parcells forever changed the culture around the Patriots franchise. That is not to say that if Bill Parse, uh, Bill Belichick comes in um, without Parcells uh, changing the culture, the Patriots still don't win six su- Super Bowls and make it to three others, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying Damn. is – Um, Parcells changed the culture in new England when it absolutely positively had to be changed. He got a big assist from Drew Bledsoe in that regard. And for me, the end of the tenure, which was very messy, uh, very unfortunate and, uh, had horrible optics. The end of the tenure doesn't wipe out what he did.
0: I, I'm not in disagreement with you. I think the issue that I have with Bill Parcells is how it ended And also just the fact that, you know, I feel like he was a better kind of creator of the team necessarily in terms of who he drafted and who he brought in and the culture changing than he actually was a football coach. I still, to this day, think that they could have beaten the Packers in that Super Bowl. They had the lead in the second half. They had all the ability in the world and he kicked it deep and the rest is history. You
1: know yes. what I mean? Yeah, and, I, I agree. I'm not I'm so not arguing the, that. But
0: some of the I think what separated to me always from a Patriot standpoint, I'm not I'm not old enough to go back to the Giants days, but from a Patriot standpoint, what always separated the Bill Belichick from Bill Parcells was the in game situational analysis right the in-game coaching no question ability to coach up situations and make sure bill belichick is not kicking that ball deep you know he's not kicking it anywhere near him he's making sure that that that's something that they have completely on lock for the entire game he's also going to help out that poor left tackle i can't remember the name of that was going up against reggie white the entire game you know maybe go and help him out a little bit I just think from an in-game adjustment standpoint that Bill Parcells was nowhere near Bill Belichick's level. But at the same time, in terms of like a culture builder, he certainly got that going for him.
1: Uh, And that was essentially my point. And I think if you – and this was kind of my tiebreaker. I think if you ask Bill Belichick if Bill Parcells belongs in the Patriots Hall of Fame, I don't think he hesitates. I think he absolutely positively says yes. Yes. So yeah, that,
0: well, I, I think Bill Belichick would probably admit that he's not the head coach of the Patriots if Bill Parcells never gets here. You know, that's like kind of what, the, how the connection was made in the first place.
1: Right. I mean, obviously they had a connection, you know, long before that with the Johns.
0: Parcell- I'm talking about the Patriots and, and Belichick, you know, the family in Belichick.
1: Correct. I see where you're going with that. But yeah. uh, I just wanted to put that out there. Again, yeah, go awesome. to patriots.com Seymour and see more
0: versus Fable. That's in, that, those are two,
1: Again, those two heavy hitters to to go up against each other. They are. And, you know, it's the second straight year that's happening, you know, obviously. And uh, last year, of course, it was uh, Rodney Harrison who beat out Seymour and Vrabel to make it as the 28th player in the Patriots. I'm sorry, 27th player in the Patriots Hall of Fame. Uh, The Hall of Fame currently has 29 members. This year's inductee will make it a round 30. And if it's parcels, that would keep it at, uh, 27 players. So there you have it. Vote at patriots.com. I want to thank Evan for taking, wow, it's been over an hour we've been talking okay. football. I, well, I mean, look, this is a special time of the year and these are incredibly Unique circumstances of virtual NFL draft. We didn't even get into that. Um, But it'll certainly be uh, something worth monitoring. How does the NFL, how do teams like the Patriots handle uh, virtual drafting uh, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Will it go off without a hitch? We certainly hope so. The last thing we need evan is for the nfl to have to deal with some drafting controversy or somebody hacking the system you mm-hmm. agree
0: <laughs> oh man i think my worst nightmare about this draft is just that the whole thing is going to take forever because we're going to have pauses and we're going to have technical issues that we're going to have to iron out and we're all going to be there sitting oh. at three o'clock in the morning on thursday waiting for the 32nd pick
1: i really hope that's not true i oh, hope it's not God, true i hope that's not true well anyway i want to thank our terrific guest evan lazar be sure to follow him all weekend long at E Z L A Z A R for all of our C L N S media draft coverage. Follow me, follow Sierra Goodwill, and uh be sure to check in constantly. We will have shows up the yin yang, as I like to say. Um did you know I like to say that? <laughs> Yes. Okay. We'll have a lot of shows on the NFL draft, uh, Patriots centric, obviously. I also want to thank our great sponsors, Bet Online and Awaken 180. For producer Mike Alonji and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media.